0: So, hey, we're going to Psalm 34, um, and as you're turning there, let's just uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God, Lord. We thank you for our church. Um, Lord, we love your word. We desire to hear you speak to us through the word, and so we just come, God, humbly. We say, uh, these are your words, Lord, they're not ours, and so would you just by the power and presence of your spirit, cause them to come alive to us this morning, Lord. May they be applicable to us. May they change us. May we have application for our lives, Lord. We just ask uh, your blessing on this time in the word, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on, so Psalm 34. Uh, psalm 34 is a psalm about deliverance. Uh, gonna give you a little bit of the background, but it's a, a psalm about David and his own story of of suffering and some affliction and trouble that he found himself in and and his story his recounting of god 's deliverance and um, this is one of seven psalms. The reason why I kind of landed uh, back here and with this psalm this morning was a few weeks back we looked at psalm thirty two before I went on holidays and this is in a grouping of seven psalms along with se- with uh, psalm thirty two which are called the Psalms of the Beatitudes. And they're called that because there are only seven times in the 150 Psalms. Where a particular phrase is used. And it's used in this Psalm. And it's this, this phrase. Blessed is the man. And then the blessing is spoken. It just sounds just like the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so let me give you a couple of examples. There's Psalm, there's Psalm uh, 1. Which starts out this way, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1. Then there's Psalm 32, it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that's a couple examples and and from this psalm it's it's this in verse 8 it says oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him And so this is blessed is the man who takes refuge in him this is a, a psalm that David wrote after he had experienced the deliverance of the Lord in his own personal life. And so let me remind you, we're going to read the whole psalm, but let me remind you what the context was and what the story was and what it was that was happening with David. See, uh, firstly, David had this relationship with King Saul. We know about him. David had humbly and faithfully served King Saul. And what was Saul doing? He was trying to kill him. Trying to take him out. And it had gotten so bad for David that we know David was on the run. He had been fleeing here and fleeing there. And finally, coming to the end of his rope, he makes a decision that he will actually flee into the land of the Israelite enemies, into the land of the Philistines, and he will take refuge and hide himself amongst the enemies of God's people. And so David there hid himself in in the heart of Philistine territory in the city of Gath, And while he was in the city of Gath, uh, the stories recounted in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Some of the locals recognized him. They said, hey, isn't that David? Isn't that the guy that killed our champion, Goliath? Isn't that the guy that the Israelites sing that song? Remember that song? Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And at that point... As David's like spotted in this community, he recognizes that his life is in real danger. And so he comes up with a plan for escape. He comes up with a plan that was a plan of his flesh and he decided this in his flesh. I'll act like a madman. I'll pretend I'm crazy here in this city. Maybe Have you ever used that one? I know what I'll do. I'll pretend I'm insane. <laughs> and that's what he decided to do. And the scripture tells us that he let the spit run down his beard and he went to the gates of the city and he clawed at them with his fingernails and pretended that he was this madman and you should check it out the account is in 1 Samuel 21 and when the king of Gath heard that this crazy man was in his midst he opened the gate of the city and he let David out and he probably said I already got enough crazy people in this city Uh, I don't need one more, get out of here, go home, open the gate, let that guy out. And so David had his fleshly plan. I'll pretend to be crazy, that was the plan. I'll pretend to be a madman. But then at some point, some point in the midst of that plan, he recognized that it was not working, and he called on the Lord to deliver him. And and God worked on David's behalf even though David had first tried to make a solution in his own flesh. When he cried out to the Lord, the Lord delivered him and had mercy on him. And it's amazing as he looks back on this situation, he, he writes this psalm and it's like, You know, it's kind of interesting how people can look back in hindsight on things that they've been through or experiences that they've had. You know, one one can look at a situation and say, man, that was the end of the world. That was awful. And others can look back and say, wow, God worked in the midst of that. Something good came out of what I even tried to manufacture with my flesh when I called out to the Lord. And so with his life in danger and trapped in the enemy city, David once he was free, looked back at all that he had been through and he penned these words. He said, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David said, the praise of the Lord will continually be on my lips. See, he made a deliberate choice to look with faith Upon the situations that he was in. Whether it was past trouble. Or waves coming at him. The coming storm. He said whatever it is. I'm going to make a decision. I will bless the Lord at all times. And so let's check this out. Let's read the whole psalm here. Psalm 34. It says this. It's titled. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Of David. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech. So that he drove him out. And he went away. And so verse 1 says this I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered and delivered me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and, he deli- and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children. Listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and, the, and his ears towards their city." The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Not a great psalm. That is like awesome stuff, good stuff. This psalm kind of divides into two parts. You might catch it. It's like about halfway through, verse, verse 11, it, it, it kind of changes it. At first, it, it's like a song of praise, the first 10 verses. And then and then David makes this switch, and he begins to call us. He says, come, children, listen to me. I'll teach you what wisdom is. And then he, and then he starts to give a, a sermon, I would say. It's like a song and a sermon in one psalm together. And the song begins this way with a pledge, with a promise. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David says this, I will do this. I will. Personally. I'm determined. I make a decision. I resolve. I am going to bless the Lord at all times. Let others do what they do. Whatever they want to say. My personal commitment is this. I will bless the Lord. At all times. In every situation. You know, it's never unreasonable to bless the Lord. I think as David recounts, you know, it's like, it's not like he was, you know, all at the top of the mountain, spiritually speaking, in his situation. I imagine when he recounted what happened in Gath, it was his sin that reminded him of the mercy of God. He said, I gotta, I gotta bless the Lord. See, in David's case, he first tried to deliver himself when his own flesh. Before he called out to the Lord. You know over the holidays my dad came up to the Sunshine Coast uh, on Friday and we like took the boat out. We went up to uh, Sechelt Inlet and it was beautiful and then just like typical I should have got out of there by like one or two and it picked up and it was just blowing out there. It was brutal and anyways we, we, we went out there and we went fishing. Eli came with us, the three of us and they got their rods set up. We were all using rods from our household and so there was a new lure on Eli's rod and there was a new lure on my dad's rod and on my rod was the old lure. I had the old one and I gave them my favorite lures. Okay, I had two of them. I gave them the brand new. I thought these are the money lures. They're going to catch fish and, um, and then I took this older one that I've been using for a while and it was a different one. The paint was chipped off it. The hook was like rusty Like, you know, I hadn't probably cleaned it good enough. And uh, not only that, the hooks were dull. I could feel it as I was like doing my fishing that, that the hooks were not as sharp as they should be. But the amazing thing is this, that God sent the fish and I set the hook. Even though my lure was rusty, even though my lure was chipped up, even though my points weren't as sharp as they should have been, and, and that's usually the case for me, and I know that's the case for you, that, m- that my part usually isn't perfect. My part, when it comes to a relationship with God, is always not good enough. But his mercy is always enough. Always enough. I, I, I don't have to be sharp. I, I can be rusty and dull, and I can still set the hook when he sends the fish And Gath was David not at his best. I mean, the man after God's heart. I mean, this is just another low point. If you just think of David and we think, oh, yes, he's the man after God's heart. And he just had that one. No, this guy had plenty of valleys in his life. And this is not David at his best. But I want to tell you this. And David wants wants you to know this. You do not have to be at your best for God to deliver you. When your cry is full, or your cry is faint, God hears the cry of those who humbly call on him. That's the truth of who he is. So David said this, my praise, my, his praise will be in my mouth. It's not going to just be in my heart. He says, thankfulness, praise, worship, it will be in my mouth. You know, I've told you this many times before, and I love this. My pastor taught me this that thankfulness is the spiritual temperature gauge of your life. The presence or the lack thereof of thankfulness in your mouth reveals the warmth or the coolness of your relationship with Jesus. And the truth is it's like pretty easy to sing a song of praise in the days of, you know, prosperity and blessing and like mountaintops. But David is saying this. He's saying even in the day of trouble, Even in the night of adversity, my song, his song, his praise, it'll be in my lips. Whatever I'm going through. I'm committing to it. And I would say to us, you know, just to have the praise of the Lord in your heart isn't enough. The praises of the Lord, the thanksgiving to the Lord is to be found on the lips of the people of God. Look at what David says in verse two. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. You ever been around a boaster? I I don't really like boasters, but you know the truth is, it's like boasting is totally natural to human nature. Like everybody boasts on some sort of level, and but typically, if you're in the presence of someone who's boasting, I think the only person that's enjoying the boasting is the one who's boasting. And, uh, yeah, it's just true. No one likes a boaster. But boasting in the Lord to me is different. You know, when someone boasts in the Lord, it's like encouraging. It's like hearing that testimony hearing that, that testimony of deliverance or that work of the Lord. And David, David boasted in the Lord. He's like, man, my, my hook was dull and rusty and the paint was chipped off. And I called to the Lord and he rescued me. He realized he probably never should have taken refuge in that Philistine city. What the heck was he doing there? Come on. Refuge in, behind the gates of the enemy? That's not a place for refuge. That's a place, of, a place of danger. He recognized it was a stupid plan that he came up with. To pretend to be insane? To be a madman? He didn't deserve the rescue of the Lord. He had gone into the enemy's territory and come up with a plan in his flesh. He did not deserve to be rescued and he knew it. And so he boasted about the rescue of the Lord. He, he boasted in it to console and to encourage people who feel the same. Because we do the same thing. You and I run to the gates of the enemy and, and we take refuge there. And then we come up with stupid plans to get out of it. And so David says this, let the humble hear and be glad. When you don't have a way out because of some situation that you're in, it's good to hear someone else boast and say, the Lord delivered me in my situation and he can deliver you in yours. And it reminds us to trust him and to call on him in our troubles. Look what he says in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let me boast, but now join me. Now join me. Let's exalt and magnify the name of the Lord. Magnify him. God's so much bigger than we often view him, right? It's like I'm always bringing God down to my level. Especially when trouble surrounds. It's like I bring God down. Like I say, come down off your throne and come down here, you know, Lord. And those trials and those situations, they, they make God look like he's smaller. And, and it's like hopelessness seems to kind of shrink God when, when hopelessness is hard. your heart. And David said this, he said, let's lift our voices and let's magnify the Lord. Make him bigger than the problem because he is bigger. Make him greater than the problem because he is greater. Magnify the Lord. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because who can make God great except those, except, except people who see themselves as little, as insufficient, as not enough. And so he says, let us exalt His name together. Check out verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. He says I sought the Lord. And he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I mean. Okay, again, I mean, you just have to wonder what kind of headspace David was in. That this great warrior, a champion, resorted to pretending to be nuts, to be a lunatic and behave like a, a madman. Like, where was, where was he at? What was going on between those ears that he would say, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. And I imagine that when he finally prayed, when he finally came to his wit's end, and he called on the Lord. It wasn't some bold, dynamic, you know, King James Version prayer from the mountaintop. It was just like the call of a spiritually broken, limping man. Help me, God. I'm ooped. I'm done. Probably just a quick call to the Lord to say, I've come to the end of myself. I don't know what I'm gonna do. You've got to rescue me. I'm done. And it's in those situations that you can really celebrate the mercy of God when he delivers you. And here's what we should take from that truth. Here's what we should take from that. I want you to grasp this this morning. That you can seek God even when you've sinned. Sin never stands in the way when we simply call on the name of Jesus. Never. Never. Even when we've been in rebellion and we simply call on the Lord, he comes and he rescues. And David said, When he came to rescue, he delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that the case? When we call on him, he clears away the fears, he clears away the causes of those fears. David said, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. What's he saying? Look to the Lord. Look and live. One look. Look and live. I, I, I mean, I just, you, you recall the account in Exodus. The vipers, the poisonous snakes being sent into the camp of the Israelites. God was disciplining them. And those snakes, those vipers were going throughout the camp. And as individuals were being bitten by those vipers, they were dying from the poison. And the people began to call out to the Lord. And the Lord instructed Moses that he was to make that bronze snake. That he was to put it on a pole. And that he was to lift up the pole in the midst of the camp. And anyone who was bitten. All they had to do was this. Was to turn and to look at that symbol God had given them. And they would be saved from the serpent's venom. And they would live. And that's salvation right there. It's like look and live. Look to Jesus and live. And David says, those who look to him, they're radiant. What a blessing, you know, to think about that. What, that, that one look to the crucified one, one look to the risen one, Jesus, who was lifted up for us, one look to him is life. One look to him is freedom. One, one look to him is light. One, one look to him is love and liberty. You live if you look to Jesus. And no one who looks to Jesus has ever looked in vain. You will never look at Jesus in vain. Because those who look to him, their faces will never be ashamed. They're radiant. Those who trust in Jesus have no need to be ashamed. Those who who look to him have no need to lack confidence. Look at time and eternity are going to prove that when you look look to Jesus in faith, you will not fall to the ground, man. He's going to take you through. He's going to pull you through. Look and live. And David says about himself, I love verse 6. This poor man cried. Wow, what a reference to himself. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard and saved him out of all of his troubles. I like that reference just because David's talking about himself. He was poor, his life was in jeopardy, and David did not have the resources to even orchestrate an escape or to get out of that enemy city. But in his poverty, what did he do? He called on the Lord. He called to his protector. He called to the one who, though David himself was poor, he called to the one who has limited, limitless resources. Like Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm oh, poor, God, help me. You know, our God, he deals in the economy of grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. That's his economy. And the economy of grace never goes into recession. The economy of grace is always open for business for those who are in spiritual need, for the poor of spirit. Blessed are the poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all at once, David was saved from his troubles as he cried out. Been scratching at the gate. Scratching at the gate with his fingernails acting like a madman and then he called to the Lord and the door opened that David himself could not open. In fact the enemy opened the door and let David out. Trapped within the enemy's cities and David calls to the Lord and the Lord makes the enemy open the gate. That's got to be really defeating for Satan. (laughs) Open the gate, I've had enough, my child called to me. The Lord does it to him all the time. Yes, Doris. You remember the plagues in Egypt? Man, it was like, it was just a, a prayer to the Lord and the plague of frogs was over in Egypt. A word from Jesus and the storm on the Sea of Galilee was still. David clawing at the enemy's gates, acting like a madman as good as dead and then he calls on the Lord and the door opens. How about you? You in trouble? Afflicted? Suffering? Take heart. Be of good courage. Call on the Lord because the angel of the Lord, verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I just like try to imagine that. Like what does that look like? How does that work? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. You know, I I, I wish sometimes, like remember when that, that story from the Old Testament where I think it was Elisha, Asked the Lord to open the servant's eyes and he saw, or it was the king or whoever it was, he saw the armies of the Lord surrounding them. And it's like, wow, Lord, open his eyes that he would see. And sometimes, you know, I just wish that that we could see the armies of the Lord and the way the Lord is at work protecting us. I I think that when, when, when the time comes and we enter into eternity and we're with the Lord, Forever with the Lord and we like get to like, I don't know, go into heaven's library and open up the books and like read the history of your life and what God was doing. And you'll, you'll like see the way that he like protected you. The way he worked by his spirit and in his providence. The, the work of unseen, ha- the unseen hands of his angels that protected and delivered us. I go, wow, look at that. I would have fallen right there in my story. You know, I would have dashed myself against the rocks there. I would have crashed the ship of my life. I would have sunk it there if the Lord hadn't been around me and camped around us on every side. David says in verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. You know the scripture tells us of a time when the armies of Israel were faint. And they were hungry in the midst of the battle. And Jonathan came up across a beehive. And the scripture tells us that he took his spear. He dipped it into that beehive. And he pulled out the comb and the honey. And as he brought it to his mouth. The word of God says his eyes brightened. Taste and see. Taste and see. And, and the Bible says that he tasted the honey and his eyes brightened. You know that'll say, in "The proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the pudding. But you know what? You won't know that unless you taste the pudding. That's the truth, and that's how the Lord works. If you want to see, if you want to see, then you have to taste. And if you will taste, you will see. You know, many people say, you know, i believe in the Lord if I had proof. You know, if there was evidence, or there was this, or there was that, i I'd believe. Well, the reality is, is the proof is in the pudding. It's just right there. You just got to take the spoon and put it to your mouth. And taste. And the kingdom of God works that way. Taste and you will see, but you won't see if you don't taste. You can only know that God is good by experience. You know, I'm convinced. You can't convince me otherwise. You know, if people say, well, is God good? I'm like, well, personally, in my own life, I am totally, absolutely convinced. How about you guys? That God is good. You cannot convince me otherwise. I won't believe you. You lying to me. You just deceived, or you just haven't discovered it for yourself yet. I'm convinced he's good, because I've tasted of him. I've been to Krispy Kreme Donuts, too. They're good. I've been to In-N-Out Burger. That's really good. you know. And I know that it's good because I've tasted. I'm not just like living off of somebody else's testimony. I've tasted. And the truth is you you won't know the sweet wine of the Holy Spirit or the living waters of Jesus or the cool drink of the Lord's presence unless we drink of him. Unless we we taste of him. And David tasted of the Lord and he said, I've seen. He is good. And, And that's why he said what he said. Hear that blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And what does that word blessed mean? It just means happy. Happy. Happy is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. See, those who eat of the Lord discover that he is good and they discover themselves to be blessed, to be happy. It's true that when you know the Lord, you say this. You say, wow, I'm so blessed. God's mercy is so good. His grace is so amazing. I I don't deserve this. I'm blessed. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Fear the Lord. Obviously, that isn't fear in terms of being afraid. David is talking about childlike reverence. With childlike reverence, walk in his ways. Respect his will. Tremble at the thought of offending him. Be quick to serve him. And the promise is this. You'll have no lack. Not that he, you know, he may not give you a life of luxury. But the Lord promises he'd provide for your needs. And we know there's a difference between wants and needs. But if you fear the Lord... He says this, I will provide your needs. I will provide for you. He closed the lilies of the field. That's what Jesus said. He cares for the birds of the air. That's what Jesus said. How much more valuable are you to him? And if you fear him, he promises, I'll look after you. Verse 10 says, the young Lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. To me, the key word there is that word seek. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, all of us are pursuing seeking things. The question is, not are we seeking, but what are we seeking? What are we seeking? And and right after here, he's, he's mentioned that if... That we will have no lack if we fear him. Davis gives us this kind of neat picture of, of young lions, cubs, not able to provide for themselves. And, and kind of the irony of the picture is that it's a lion. And it can't provide for itself because it's it's young. You think of a lion created to be powerful, and I mean the king of the animal kingdom. A hunter. Able to be independent and to provide for themselves, except when they're born and they're little, a young lion. Then at that point, they're not fast enough, they're not big enough, they're not strong enough. And, and that's our state apart from God. And yet we're told if we will seek Him, we will lack no good thing. See, our fate is not that baby lions, because who do we serve? The lion, I love that we sang that this morning, actually, by the way. The lion of Judah, that's who we serve. And he provides for our every need, and in him we lack no good thing. Doesn't mean we get whatever we want. But it does mean this, it's clear in the context of the psalm that that David had to cry out in the midst of his help, and God brought the provision that he needed. His difficulty was real. And the point is this. You can be dependent on the Lord. You can trust him. That's the song. Now the sermon. We'll go a little quicker through the sermon. But we come to verse 11. And it says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Remember, those who fear him have no lack. So what does the fear of the Lord look like? So now the warrior David becomes for us the teacher. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, I would say that's all of us. You desire to live? You want to live a long life? You want to have an abundant, happy life, content and full? And and the truth is, we, we know this, that you can live and yet not live sort of thing. You know, you can have life but not live. And a long life spent in happiness is like the desire of every one of us. Just existing is not life. There's, there's an art almost to living, right? And true life and joyful living, like the, the, the reality of that is not given to everyone. It's through knowing Jesus that we learn how to live. I would even say this, that Jesus even teaches us to, how to die. And so here, David says, are the secrets of true living. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. If you choose life, you choose to love life, then David tells us that you have to keep your tongue from evil. God's called you to be a a blessing to others that they might come to know him, come to know your Savior. And retaliation with your mouth is not the name of the game. And so for us as as followers of Christ the battle always begins where? James said it's that thing that's so hard to tame. Impossible. The tongue. The psalmist said in Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard O Lord over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And you know it's like easy for the Tongue to get loose, for the mouth to start running, for the complaining to start happening. Oh, why me, God? It's like always think of the Israelites in the desert. Saved from slavery in Egypt, the strong hand of God directing them and leading them, passing through the Red Sea, countless miracles in the desert, the hope of entering into the promised land. But in the desert, what happened? They despaired life. And they let loose their lips in complaints against uh, the Lord and against uh, the leadership of Moses. And, and their attitude of fear and their disdain of life caused them uh, to fail when it was time to make steps of faith. You know, Joshua and Caleb, after they had been in the land, spying out the land, they came before the people and they said, The land is exceedingly good, it's good. God's blessing is upon us. This is his promise to us. He's given this land into our hands. Let's go and take it. But the people rebelled against the Lord. And so David says this, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, uh, watch your mouth. And in verse 14 he says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it saying, be a do-gooder and hate evil. Hate it. You know why, why all of us struggle with areas of sin in our lives? It's because we don't hate it. It's not enough to avoid sin. Not enough to avoid those things that we think are wrong. Avoiding sin doesn't work. I don't know if you figured that out, but that doesn't work. It's like trying to avoid someone in Gibson's, okay? Sooner or later you're at IGA, you know, super value drugs. You run into them. You can't avoid people here. And, and avoidance doesn't work with sin. You have to hate it. You have to shun it. You have to turn your back on it and do good. David said, seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And seeking and pursuing peace does not mean, you know, avoiding problems. Just avoidance of issues. No, we engage them. We deal with them. We try to set things straight. But in doing so, we seek to make peace and to be peaceful. Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. What's David telling us? He's saying this, that the Lord is on the side of those who do good. I don't know, for some reason we don't like to hear this very much. But that's the promise, that the Lord is on the side of those who do good. It's not that they're trying to like earn something for him or like buy their salvation or negotiate something with him no they fear the Lord and because they fear God they bring their character in line with his and and to say his eye is on them is to say that when he looks upon those who live according to his ways he does so with consideration with care with with concern but what does he say about those who do evil? He says that he turns his face against them. God is not, because God is not indifferent towards sin. God is not indifferent towards the actions of sinner, sinners. You know, maybe, maybe you look around and, and you look around this world and you go, wow, well, that person's not walking with why are they so blessed? Look at the face of the Lord is against them. Don't be deceived with what your eye sees. He sets his face against them. The sinner does not have the support of the Lord's countenance. They will not prosper in the end. Look at what verse 17 says. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. We know verse 20, that's a, a prophecy in reference to Jesus that the gospel writers say that this applies to Jesus. But I love this, it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Isn't that, isn't that a great truth from the word of God? The Lord's near to the brokenhearted. What broke your heart? What broke your heart? Yeah, you know, who was like who did that thing? Who was unkind? And you know, maybe who deserted you? Who did you trust that proved to be unfaithful? The Lord's near to the brokenhearted, like, like have you? Drank from the cup of affliction? The cup of sorrow and suffering and trouble that life forced you to drink? Jesus told that parable, I love that parable of a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell amongst robbers and thieves and they stripped him and they beat him and they took everything that he had, and they left him lying on that road to Jericho, beaten, bloodied, good as dead. And Jesus said, by chance, a, a, a priest was going down that road, and, and he saw him, and he passed by. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came by that place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And you know, sometimes we're like, that's a picture of us. Sometimes we're, we're the one broken, <laughs> You know, we just apply that good Samaritan story to us being the Samaritan. Are we the good neighbor? But sometimes we're the one lying on the street, bloodied and beaten. Stripped and it seems that everyone else's lives are going on. Life is going on and it's seemingly without us. But what the word of God wants us to know, what David wants us to know is this. That what we need to be reminded of is this. The Lord's near. The Lord is near. He always comes to us then. F.B. Meyer said this. I, I love this line. He said this. The great lover of man is always at his best when the lights burn low and dim in the house of life. The great lover of man is always at his best when the lights burn low and dim in the house of life. What he's saying is this, is that brokenness attracts God. God loves broken people. It's dark. You're stranded on the roadside. And life has left you broken and alone. But it's not so with God. He has not departed from you or left you. He loves the broken hearted. He's there. Jesus is near. Call on him. He responds to the weakest of whispers that call for help. That's one of the things David wants us to know as he writes this psalm. I mean you can even be... Uh, surrounded by the enemy's wall, encased within his gate, with him breathing threats down your life and you're scraping with your fingernails at that door like a madman to get out of there and David is telling you, the faintest of cries will unleash the economy of grace. Your whisper will bring his response Your cry will reveal the angel of the Lord's presence that he's encamped around you. Look at verse 17 again. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know, it reminds me of the words of Jesus. You know what he said? John 14, he said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not a question. You will have it. But then he said this. Take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And so here's the conclusion of the matter. Verse 21, 22. Affliction of affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate righteous the righteous will be condemned the lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned look at verse 22 one more time so good the lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Refuge in him. That's why David said taste and see, man. Taste and see God is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Because the Lord redeems the life of his servants. With rescue, with redemption, with with by paying the price, by his power with blood, with water, the redeemed belong to him because he has ransomed them with his blood. He has purchased us with his blood and he'll deliver us by his power. And none, no one who takes refuge in the Lord will be condemned. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. Lord, blessed is the man we taste, Lord. We want to taste and see that God is good. We want to be those who, Lord, live in the happiness and blessing of God because we've taken refuge in him. Lord, I'm so thankful that the storms of life will pass. The smoke covering over us, Lord, it will pass. It will go. And Lord, in the midst of those things, what we desire to do is be those who trust you, to be those who call upon you. Lord, we just want to tell you this morning, we've tasted and we've seen that you are good. Lord, you're good. Lord, no one satisfies me like you do. Nothing satisfies us like, like you do, Lord. We've tasted and seen. And so Lord, God, whatever we got going on in our lives, Whatever it is, Lord, thank you that you respond to just the faintest of whispers. Lord, may your praise and your glory and your thanksgiving be on our lips, Lord, not just in our hearts. And so, God, we give you glory. We praise you, King Jesus. We thank you that you are near to us. We thank you that you encamp around us we thank you lord that when we are broken man, you love the broken and so god just thank you simply that lord